0: Here at Eastside. And today we're on week two of our series, Overcomer, where we're talking about how we can overcome the sin that so easily wants to entangle us as we're following Jesus. And so today we're going to be talking about how we can overcome apathy to live as passionate Followers of Jesus. And uh, this Overcomer series is a series originally developed by Pastor Craig Rochelle and the pastors at Life Church. And our pastor, Pastor Todd, he came across the content and he loved it. And so he's asked me to take it, uh, the bones of it, and kind of remix it and then present it to our church. Uh, Next Sunday, I'm going to be with you again. We're going to be talking about overcoming the restrictive labels that are placed on our lives and how we can live out our identity that Christ gives us. So I hope you'll come back next Sunday to join me for that. Uh, But today we're talking about overcoming apathy. And I want to tell you about a short-term missions trip that I was able to go on several years ago to Haiti. And uh, when we arrived, it was a, a team of us from the church that went down there. When we arrived there, it was shocking. It was devastating to see the people who had so little. We were able to to tour around through the community, and we saw people living in huts and small concrete rooms with next to nothing. Uh, It was hot. It it was uncomfortable. uh, But we were able to meet with the church and uh, be so encouraged by the people there. As we were trying to encourage them, they really were encouraging us And then uh, right before it was time to go home, uh, the pastors, Pastor Mark and Lisa, they uh, sat us down, our team, and they said, all right, you're going back to North America. You need to prepare for some culture shock. You know, you're you're seeing the people here who have so little, and you're going to go back to North America where you see they have so much and there's so much excess, and it can be so shocking and difficult for people to adapt back to being home. So you need to prepare your heart for that. And then the next day, I got on a plane, and I uh, flew into the airport in Miami. And 30 minutes after I was off the plane, I was in the air conditioning. I was sitting, eating a cheeseburger, having some fries, catching up on all the sports highlights that I'd missed on the four giant HD TVs. And I had become completely back into my lifestyle, completely comfortable once again. And when I started to realize it took me a few minutes to realize what had happened and I could only think what's what's wrong with me 30 minutes after getting into the airport just completely back to normal. It's so easy for us sometimes to find ourselves not caring the way that we are called to care. Some people want to say that there is an an apathetic generation right now. I I think it goes beyond just generations. I I think there's some apathy that we can see in our culture where we don't tend to care a whole lot. Uh, We don't really want to get involved very much. You know, it's not always seeming like it's worth the effort or there can be a lack of concern that we can see, a lack of compassion You know, I'm able to see that in my own life. You know, I I look at myself and sometimes I see a lack of interest or a lack of concern, a lack of care for others. And and Jesus has something to say about this, and we're going to launch right into it in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus talks about this. And we're going to start in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is with a religious scholar. And uh, in your Bible, it might say a law expert or, or, or a lawyer, but uh, it's not the kind of lawyer that we'd understand in our cultural context. This is a religious scholar, an expert on religious law. And uh, he stands up and has a question for Jesus. And he says to Jesus, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, you know, he's asking this question of Jesus to try and kind of trick Jesus a little bit. And so Jesus answers his question with a question. So he turns it back to him and says, well, what does the law of Moses say? You know, you're the expert. How do you read it? You you answer your own question. And so uh, the religious scholar goes to Jesus and says, uh, well, you must love the Lord your God With all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this isn't an original idea that this guy came up with. This is a, a very popular thought at the time where they've searched through the scriptures and they've found what is it that we're to do. You know, he's asking his original question, what is it that I need to do to have eternal life? What's, it's like going to your professor and saying, hey, what do I need to do to pass the class? I'm, I'm just interested in getting by. I want to get to heaven. What's the least amount that I need to do? And he turns it to Jesus. Jesus turns it back to him. And this is the answer that he comes up with. And it's not a surprising answer to Jesus. It's the answer that he would be expecting. And Jesus says to him, right, yeah, just go and do that. Just love God with absolutely everything that you have inside of you. And then love your neighbor with all the thought and care and concern that you give for yourself. Just give that to someone else. And so the man... He wants some clarification on this. And so he says to Jesus, wanting to justify his actions, he asks Jesus, and so who is my neighbor? You know, Jesus loving somebody else with all the thought, care, concern, all the joy that I have for myself to have that for someone else. Okay, we need to make this. A little simpler, Jesus. We need to make this a little bit more doable. So, can you tell me who is my neighbor? What, who's the minimum amount that I need to love or to show care towards? He's hoping that Jesus will make it a little easier for him by defining who is his neighbor. And Jesus answers this question Who is my neighbor? with a story. And Jesus tells about a Jewish man who leaves Jerusalem and is traveling to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem is more elevated than Jericho is, and there's a road that leads down from Jerusalem to Jericho that everybody would have been familiar with. And uh, it's, there's lots of hills, and there's lots of caves. And so Jesus says, there's a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead, beside the road. Now, on the section of road between Jerusalem and Jericho, there's a section called the Pass of Blood because there was all these caves and hills and there was great opportunities for bandits to ambush people as they were on the road. So Jesus is telling this story. This this kind of thing would have happened. This is not surprising to his audience. So a man is stripped of his clothes, he's attacked, he's robbed, he's beaten up, left half dead beside the road. And then verse 31, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he he sees the problem, but he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed him by. And then a temple assistant, a, a Levite walked along the road, and he, he saw the man, and he walked over, saw him lying there, but he also passed by to the other side. You know, both men, as they come along the road, they, they see the problem. But what a powerful picture of apathy that Jesus shows us in his story. That they come along, they see the problem, but they don't draw closer, they draw Away from the problem. You know, these are, are people, they've got, uh, they've got jobs, they've got places to be, they've got things to do. They see the problem, but the problem is too big. And the risk is just too much. You know, there's an obvious sign that there still are bandits in the area to try and stop. I mean, there would be risk involved to help this man. You know, they've got places to be. They can't stop now. So hashtag thoughts and prayers, and they're on their way. We live in a culture of apathy. You know, it's not just a a generation of apathy. It it extends beyond just one generation. But there are some certain things that we can see today, like uh, extended adolescence. You know, Peter Pan syndrome. Young people who just don't want to grow up. They don't want to take responsibility. But we can also see it in Netflix binges and in escapism. And I love escapism. You know, when I start to feel stressed, give me a good book. Give me a video game. Give me some movies that I can watch. Anything. Some ice cream. Leave me alone. Just let me escape. But we can see this in ourselves. You know, uh, we have a cause-motivated generation of young people. But we also all seem to fall into social media activism and, you know, we just change our profile pictures and we, you know, share a couple posts and that's kind of the limit that we seem to show. You know, we, there's an issue but we don't really seem to care about it until we see a photo or a video clip of an atrocity and then our heart breaks and we care until the next photo or video or the next crisis comes along and we seem to jump from thing to thing you know and for some of us we seem more caught up in arguing about how to solve the problem than we do in really meeting the need do we care sure maybe sometimes some of us but do we care like Jesus calls us to care. I wanna give us three reasons why we don't care like Jesus calls us to care. First, it's that the volume of information is overwhelming. There's an overwhelming amount of information that we can see, that we can come across of tragedies and things that are happening all around the world. You know, just this week, I was looking, there was an explosion in Minneapolis. There are deadly heat waves throughout South Asia. There's another dead whale in the Gulf of the St. Lawrence. There are the wildfires in BC. It's overwhelming. Craig Rochelle says, we're exposed to tragedies all the time. So it becomes just another tragedy, another earthquake, another tornado, another bombing, and it's so difficult to care. So, first, it's the volume of information is overwhelming. Secondly, it's we feel helpless to make a change. Now, I know many of you, you do care. You care. But sometimes we can feel so helpless. To make a change. We feel like we buy into the lie. I'm just one person. What could I really do? You know the problem is too big. It's just a drop in the bucket. That's all I could do. You know you're, you're working two jobs. To put yourself through school. You're just trying to pay your bills. And keep food on the table for your family. You care. But what can you really do? We feel helpless to make a change. And third. We are blessed. And cursed with comfort the vast majority of us here we live in great comfort we're so comfortable we sometimes we just need to stop and acknowledge the comfort that we live in you know that we can pull out our phone and order a pizza and we can have a pizza brought to us in 30 minutes you can have hot fresh pizza come to you now that is comfort we live in comfort. And sometimes it seems like we overvalue comfort. We don't want to get uncomfortable. And the problem is that the more comfortable we are, the more self-centered we tend to be. It just becomes about us and staying comfortable. Well, what do we do with this lack of care? And concern that we can see inside ourselves. What do we do when we don't care like Jesus calls us to care? I want to look back at Jesus' parable. The story that Jesus is telling. And in verse 33 it says, Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Enter the hero Of Jesus' story, a despised Samaritan. But he sees the problem and he has compassion. And his compassion leads him to draw closer. He comes into contact with the problem. And then the Samaritan man risks everything. This is a man who's got a donkey, he's got some silver coins in his pocket. And he knows that there could very well be bandits around. That he could be the next victim lying beside this man in the ditch. But he risks everything. And then he meets all of the man's needs. He binds up his wounds and he transports him on his donkey. And he provides shelter for him. And he provides finances for him to get him back on his feet. Even being willing to go into debt that he'll come back and pay Just to help this man. And this is a Samaritan man helping a Jewish man. So they're not of the same people group. They have different religious beliefs. And the Jewish man would despise the Samaritan man. But this is the lengths that he goes to to help this man. Jesus is telling a story and he's answering the question Who is my neighbor? Who do I have to care about? Who do I have to love? And why is Jesus telling this story? And why is he telling it this way? You know, when Jesus is telling this story, nobody lives like this Samaritan. Nobody is doing this. And so how does Jesus expect, how does he hope to get anybody to live like this? Well, Timothy Keller talks about this in his message, Neighbors. And we got to look at who is the audience, who is the hero, and who's the victim. So the audience is Jesus is talking to the religious scholar, a Jewish man. And then who is the hero? Jesus is, he's making this story up. He's telling this story. And so he chooses the hero of the story as someone who is very different from the audience. Somebody of a different people group, different religious beliefs, somebody that he would despise. He's the hero. And who's the victim in the story? It's a Jewish man, just like the religious scholar. So that when the religious scholar is listening to this story, he relates not with the hero, but with the victim, And Jesus is saying to him through this story, imagine it's you in the ditch. Imagine it's you bleeding out. And imagine that you are being radically saved from death. All of your needs met in an overwhelming act of love by someone who owes you nothing. Then at the end of the story, Jesus says to the religious scholar, go and do the same. You know, he he says to him, all right, of the three men, there's the priest, there's the temple assistant, and there's the Samaritan. Hey, who was a neighbor to him? Who was a neighbor to the man that was attacked by bandits? And the religious scholar in verse 37, he replied, the one Who showed him mercy. Now it shows he doesn't even want to say the Samaritan man because he despises him. But he recognizes, yes, that he showed him mercy. And that's when Jesus says, yes, go and do the same. Jesus doesn't lead with, hey, you be the hero of this story and you go find somebody who's nothing like you and you give everything you have to help them. He knows that's not going to motivate the religious scholar. But he starts with saying, picture yourself as the victim and someone coming and showing you this great amount of love. Now go and do the same. You know, why do people give back? There was a study that was done. Uh, it was a secular study just of people who give of their time and energy, who just love to give back to others, who go to great lengths to give back. And they asked these people, these uh, people that the world even would call good Samaritans, why they do this. And the number one answer that came back was because someone gave to them. That they could look back in their life and they could see a coach or a teacher, somebody who invested in them, somebody who met a need in them, who served them and loved them. And now they want to do the same for others. This is the type of motivation that Jesus is telling in this story, hoping that we will catch this motivation. And so how can we overcome apathy? We need the right motivation. First, it starts with the right motivation. Guilt is a terrible motivator. If, If you're here today feeling guilty, stop. Because Jesus didn't tell the story to the religious scholar to make him feel guilty. He told it to motivate him. You see, just rules and laws and religion of itself is not a great motivator. It's an inadequate motivator compared to being motivated by the love that Jesus has for us. Even if a secular mindset of saying, you know, I have so much and they have so little and so I should give to them. Even that is an inadequate motivator. But Jesus is showing us that Jesus is my good shepherd, my good Samaritan. Jesus is my good Samaritan because I was dead in my sin and he drew near to me. He found me. He had compassion. For me. And so Jesus meets all of my needs. He clothes me in righteousness. He's my healer. Jesus owed me nothing and He gave me everything. He didn't just risk, He willingly laid down His life for me. I have been saved through a, a radical act of grace. And the more that I can understand that in my head, and in my heart, the more I will want to go and do the same. We love because he first loved us. That is our motivation. That is the source of our passion. We care because he first cares for us. How do we overcome apathy It starts with a right motivation. And then I want to give you three practical things that we can do as we want to overcome apathy. Three practical keys to overcoming apathy. First is that we need to consistently expose ourselves to something that creates a righteous discomfort. We need to consistently expose ourselves. Just something that creates a righteous discomfort. Do you know what it's like to, to see something, to see injustice, to see a problem, and to have your heart be stirred, where you feel God's heart in your own heart, where you're saying, no, that's not right. No, something needs to be done about that. That's a, a righteous discomfort that we can feel inside of ourselves. But we need to consistently expose ourselves to those things because a lack of consistency results in a lack of interest. And so when we start to feel those things, when we see those things that begin to tug, tug on our heart, when we say that's not right, we need to lean in, we need to consistently expose ourselves to those things. Paul carried a righteous discomfort inside of him. And we can see it in Romans chapter nine, starting in verse one. This is what Paul says. Look at the language of what Paul says here. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. What he's saying is, I'm about to say something really crazy here, but I need you to understand that this is absolutely the truth. Verse 2, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Paul is saying here, I care so deeply. I carry this burden in my heart for my Jewish brothers and sisters. I carry it with me, and if I could be damned to hell to save them, I would do it. That's the burden that he carries for these people. We need a righteous discomfort inside of ourselves. So first, it's consistently expose yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort, a holy discontent inside of your heart. And second, we need to focus our passion on something. What captures your heart? Because there's many things that will capture your attention, but few things will really capture your heart. What are those things that capture your heart? You know, there's so many needs that we can see in the world around us. But what is it that captures your heart? You know, I know that there are people here and you care deeply for the unborn. And there's others here that what captures your heart is when you see racial injustice and you want to see racial reconciliation. Others of you, it's human trafficking and ending the modern-day slave trade. That's what captures your heart. Or it's providing clean water that just a well for a village could make such a big difference. Or it could be cancer research, as you know somebody who's suffering from cancer, and that's your passion and you want to help in that area. Or it's fostering and adoption and the orphans coming into families. That could capture your heart. Or our student ministry and our young people who are going such a, through such a difficult time in their lives and pouring into them, helping them. That can capture your heart. Or overseas missions or uh, discipleship, helping people with mental illness, providing freedom from porn or alcohol or drug addiction. There's so many different things that we could give ourselves to help with, but what captures your heart. Focus on something, because you can make a little difference in a lot of areas, or with the Holy Spirit focusing your attention and your passion, you can make a big difference in a few areas. And you don't need to go out and try and start something on your own, but you can partner with the ministries that are already serving and trying to meet these needs. You can find other people that are passionate about these things. It captures their heart. You don't need to do it alone. You can partner with those that are doing it. In our lives, apathy will make an excuse. But passion will find a way. And then third, we need to be blessed with a burden. We need to understand that we can be blessed with a burden. That throughout the Bible, we can see people who are blessed with a burden. Paul, as we read, he was blessed with a burden. It was a burden that he carried. And Jesus says, you know, come to me, give your cares, cast your cares on me. Because his burden, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. But there is a burden that can weigh on our heart for people That are in need, people who need help for the injustices that we see, for the problems that we see, where we feel compassion that compels us to draw into contact with the problem. You know, Moses was a man who was blessed with a burden. He had a burden for his people that led him to say, let my people go. David, when he saw Goliath, he was blessed with a burden to say, who is this man who defies the armies of the living God? He was blessed with a burden. Esther was blessed with a burden to save her people that led her to go before the king and to say, save my life and the lives of my people. Esther was blessed with a burden. And Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he saw them as sheep, Without a shepherd, his heart was burdened for them. He was blessed with a burden. You know, sometimes we think it's easier just not to care. It's easier to slip back into apathy. But really, Jesus' yoke is easy. The burden he gives us is light. But there's a burden that we can have that motivates us as we understand the lengths that Jesus went to to help us, where we can wake up in the morning and have a burden for these people to help, to make a difference. It's a light burden that we can carry, where we're willing to pray, we're willing to fast, we're doing it from the right motivation because we understand what Jesus has done for us. You know, and, and thinking about this message and preparing this message this week, you know, I have never felt so convicted. You know, not condemned, not guilty, but just convicted As God has really been working on my heart. Because, you know, I can look at my life and I can see, you know, I've been blessed with a burden for kids. You know, I'm a children's pastor here. uh, But even before I worked at Eastside, I I was working with kids. Even before I met my wife, both Crystal and I were working with kids. And so I've been blessed with a burden for kids. I have a, a tender spot in my heart especially for foster kids and adopted kids. You know, I carry a lot of names and faces in my heart of the kids that have come through this church. And I'm so blessed with the team that I have, and I have to take a moment to brag on my team because, you know, there are people today that are in our nursery working with the babies of this church, and they are blessed with a burden for the babies of our house. And I can see with our preschoolers, just, just a month ago, we had our day camp, we had day camp junior, and I was talking to two of the ladies who were telling me about how they led these preschoolers. For the very first time, they were given the opportunity to choose for themselves if they would follow Jesus. And they actually had to get up out of their seat and they had to move over here if they were gonna choose to follow Jesus. And they, those ladies, they are blessed with a burden for preschoolers. And they're tearing up and they're crying as they're telling me about these little kids. And you know, I'm running a busy camp but I'm sitting there tearing up and trying to focus myself about these little preschoolers saying yes to Jesus. They're blessed with a burden. And you know, I can see in my own life different times and different seasons where I've been blessed with a burden. But you know, I've been working in the children's ministry for 12 years now. And over that time, you know, you come up with some routines, You find kind of the best way to do things, the easiest way to do things, the fastest way to do things, and it starts to get comfortable. It starts to get a little easier, and it's easy to get more and more comfortable with what you're doing. And then you start to think about, you know, that burden that you're like, oh, yeah, no, I'm carrying the burden, but you start to see in your heart, you know, well, When was the last time I really felt felt burdened for this? The last time it really, really stirred my heart. You know, I I believe that God, God can convict our hearts today. You know, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt that we need to feel here today. But Jesus wants to motivate us as we understand in our head and our heart what he's done for us as our good Samaritan. That we can focus our passion. When we feel those things inside of us that stir up that discontent, where we can lean into those things instead of just going back to what's comfortable. Jesus, I pray today, God, that you would help us to overcome apathy. Jesus, we know, God, the great lengths that you went to to save us, that we have been saved through a a radical act of love, that you came and you meet our needs, Jesus. And we're asking, Lord, would you help us, God, to overcome this apathy, this lack of care and concern that we can see in ourselves, God, where we get comfortable, where it seems so easy. God, would you stir our hearts today? God, would you focus our passion? God, would you capture our heart with a need today, Jesus, that we would overcome